Hey everyone, welcome to VTalk Data. So we are a few tech enthusiasts and you know, we usually talk about technology quite a lot. And uh, you know, we, this time we wanted to keep it professional and you know, go in a public forum and talk about technology. And that's something you know, we all love. Um, so that's how we started VTalk Data. Um, so VTalk Data is, uh, you know, is nothing but it's gonna be a podcast and a video tech talk uh, that's gonna bring together the latest tech news, especially around data. Uh, we go over the news, discuss with them, and you know, uh, we're gonna go deeper and we're gonna bring the knowledge of professionals across the world to you. So we talk about data, artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning, computer vision, data visualizations, data philanthropy, and much more. So come listen to us. Um, let us know what you like and what you don't like. Um, and we are, we, are, we are all ears and we would love to know uh, what we can keep improving. Uh, this is our pilot uh, you know, show, and we want to give it a try for the very first time. Uh, so myself, Al, uh, I'm, I'm going to be your host for the show. And I'm actually a senior technical product manager. I work for Amazon. Uh, I work mostly on cloud technologies, and my specializations are product marketing, uh, product building, um, and new technology products. Um, so, and, you know, I usually love innovation. So, and this is another way of innovating. Uh, that's what I think. So let's, uh, let me you know, allow my gang to introduce themselves. Uh, hello everyone, this is Ravi. Uh, I work as a software engineer at NetApp. I am an AI enthusiast and uh, I love connecting the dots between user innovation uh, and artificial intelligence. Hi all, this is Shakti. I'm a student studying computer science engineering and I'm quite geeky type. I love to explore new technology so that I could be in connect with this running world. Awesome. Hi everyone, uh, I'm Wally. I'm working as a software developer and an aspiring data scientist, uh, more of interested in various data sets, uh, data points, and actually speaking, uh, more of uh, its seasonality and anomaly detection of those data points. Yeah, cool. Hi. cool. So yeah, so we, we are, uh, we all for, you know, we, we talk quite a lot offline, and uh, this is our first time, you know, doing it live. So it's gonna be a little, you know, on and off, but yeah, let, you know, let us know how it works. Um, so this time, you know, just to get a uh, get to start in a good place. Um, so we are in the middle of a pandemic, right? So we are all uh, because of the COVID situation, we are all stuck at home, and uh, quite a bit we are using video conferencing a lot nowadays. And everyone is like really dependent on video conferencing, you know, more online uh, activities and things like that. So I thought, like, uh, to start with, this is uh, this is going to be awesome to talk about a video conferencing technology for the for the pilot. So I'm gonna talk about Zoom. So Zoom was a startup sometime back, and now it is one of the very big company, and it's like, uh, you know, they have a lot of users across the world. And uh, you don't believe me, like Zoom actually scaled from 20 million to 300 million users virtually overnight. So they have a very good scalable architecture. And uh, from technology perspective, I love, you know, I love the way uh, they do streaming and how their technology works. So, you know, I would like to talk about, um, you know, how their architecture is. Uh, and also, you know, I want to dive a little deeper on like, what are the specific codecs or specific audio video formats that, that they are using? So uh, let's get started. Okay, so basically Zoom, um, Zoom actually, you know, even before Zoom came into the picture, there were like a lot of big players, for example, like Microsoft, Skype, Teams, um, and you might have seen like uh, things like Blue Jeans, Cisco had a, a WebEx platform. There are a lot of other uh, big players in the market. But how Zoom differentiates, uh, you know, the overall video conferencing platform in, you know, in a very unique way, right? So that's what we're going to talk about. 
So Zoom actually, you know, it started off as a, uh, you know, smaller company, right? Um, you know, it was a startup and it started in California. Um, so you might have heard about uh, Zoom's CEO, Eric Yuan. So he's actually a visionary. Um, so they actually didn't start with a small problem. They started with a very big problem and they went public with like, you know, giving you, you know, all users access to Zoom platform for like 40 minutes, right? So they, they try to solve the big scalability problem at the very beginning so that they can, they can do better uh, in other platforms. So that's their whole vision. And it actually worked, right? So most of the, so basically then let's talk about how uh, Zoom stores the data, right? So Zoom actually runs, um, so runs based off of three different data centers. So they have their own uh, data centers uh, and also they have, they run on AWS and also on Oracle Cloud. So how they uh, split between three different uh, data centers, you know, they have a very good platform so that, you know, they can actually, you know, customize everything um, towards a very good video conferencing uh, quality. So most of their private paid customer video conferencing, streaming and everything runs on their own data center. And uh, they have uh, other real-time video traffic for other customers on AWS as well as Oracle. So let's, uh, let's talk about their uh, unique architecture. So it, it's very, it's very different. So if you think about, they started solving the problem for across the world. So that means, you know, they can handle like weaker network, stronger network, middle tier. So they can work with any type of uh, network. So mainly they go with the, uh, you know, SVC. So what is SVC, right? So S let me give a quick intro about that. It's called a scalable video codec. So it, which is like actually runs over ABC. So ABC is actually a protocol. So which you can do it uh, like a single stream of data and that has like a bit rate um, in, you know, measure. So if uh, in order to have a very good video quality, they want to do like multiple streams of data and multiple bit rates so that, you know, you can increase the bandwidth utilization. So Zoom actually deployed a client between the server data center and the, you know, and the, you know, and the original network origination so that they can handle any type of data. So, so that's how that's how it's all started, you know, because they can they can really assess like what type of network it is, and then based off of that, you know, they can assess the quality of it, and uh, they can transform it. So, you know, it is actually like a stream of single stream with multiple layers. So that is how the multimedia routing routing works for um, Zoom and uh, multimedia routing. So they they actually you know uh, pretty much worry about quality of service every day. So they, they, they designed a very good algorithm. So that looks at the CPU, jitter, packet loss, and everything. And then they, it detects the network conditions. And based off of that, it, it gives a very, it, it selects the uh, perfect network for it. So it actually starts off with the, you know, with the UDP. So UDP is the preference for Zoom. So because it gives a very good quality. And they first test for UDP. If it doesn't work, they switch on to HTTPS. And if it doesn't work, so it go, they go to HTTP. So by any chance, you know, they always detect uh, you know, customers telemetry and based off of that, they, they, you know, they structure the whole network so that, you know, every user can get the same user experience. So it's all about user experience, right? So if you really love the product, that means, you know, it, it does have a very good user experience and you, you know, um, they want to really uh, achieve a greater audience. And uh, I actually think Zoom is going to get bigger, uh, bigger and better because with this pandemic, they are testing with a lot of users and uh, that gives them a very, a very good feedback and uh, they can actually scale uh, quite a bit. And actually from the business model perspective, because I'm being a product manager and you know, I also, also look at the business model perspective. 
from business model perspective, I still think Zoom can do better because other platform owners like Microsoft, Google, they are stuck in a kind of revenue model which cannot scale quite a bit like Zoom. Um, so there is still a very good scope for Zoom. And uh, I know you guys know like uh, uh, Zoom released a phone call. Uh, it's called Zoom Phone sometime back. And uh, that's like a very new product in the market. So they want to disrupt this whole audio market as well. Um, so let's see how it goes. Uh, and you know, when we just keep going with this uh, uh, tech talk and I'll try to revisit Zoom and I'll let you know like how they progressed in this whole market and uh, you know, how they are performing very well. Okay, so let me pass on to, uh, pass on to my gang. So they have some quite a bit of interesting topics to discuss as well. So take it over. Guys. Yeah, thanks, Al. Uh, it was a very good uh, know about uh, more of Zoom. Uh, actually, I I'm wondering, still wondering how they are able to support uh, in a free trial version like uh, 100 participants uh, to manage in a free trial version. It yeah, so they have they have quite a bit of funding around. So they, they are actually burning a lot of cash. Um, so because uh, a lot of these are not really generating any revenue. But the good thing is, you know, they are actually targeting for the future um, rather than just a short term, right? So they want to test it out with a lot of different users so that when they go enterprise, that's what happened right now. Like a lot of companies uh, accepted Zoom as an enterprise you know, software and a lot of companies still use it for uh, you know, video conferencing and a lot of companies are trying to adapt to it because usually as a new player, right? So people always have this uh, problem of adapting to it. So if you think about it, like if I come out and say, you know, I have a video conferencing platform, can you use it for my enterprise? Uh, people will say no, you know, because this is like more confidential data that we talk about and we have data privacy issues and all sorts of stuff, right? But if you test it out for a, quite a long time in a public network and you were able to approach a lot of people, because if you think about it, you know, all the guys who are using it right now in an enterprise, they already used it for their home, right? So they, they try to talk to their friends using Zoom and everything, right? So now they create a very good user, um, user satisfaction. So now they can go into the enterprise platform. So that's how they are doing it. Yeah, right, right. I, even I could see lots of security patches coming. Yeah, maybe it is a benefit out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now they can test it and now they go more enterprise uh, way of doing it. Like that means, uh, you know, they do a lot of data privacy. Uh, they verify the data. And even now, you know, you can see they added a password to the, you know, overall conference. They started uh, encrypting the video stream and everything is going on. So yeah, so usually the platform matures very well. Um, and yeah, that's based off of the user feedback. Right. So yeah, I'd like to speak uh, more about uh, blockchain security and compliance monitoring. Uh, so when you say blockchain, it's uh, nothing but a distributed uh, public ledger and it is digitized. So that's what I, I could see blockchain. So mainly it is developed for uh, Bitcoin transactions. Uh, it's sort of uh, record keeping, we could say like, uh, why we are calling the in in the blockchain terminology each record is called a block so mainly what and all it contains so it contains a cryptographic hash of a previous block and a timestamp and a transaction data so the blocks are linked using cryptography so it makes the hackers to do it is like they can't do easily a ddos around the blockchain so it is a very complex architecture. Uh, so uh, hackers may not uh, be uh, able to do uh, their, their uh, predefined algorithms, hacking algorithms. So it's kind of new and it's very difficult. So even if the hackers want to hack, they have to hack a set of previous records. They can't hack an individual block uh, to understand a transaction. They need to hack a 
like a set of a previous block which means they need to track a series of blocks uh, we could say previous or they have to hack a, a set of blocks in the future which means upcoming uh, so that's how it uh, it is a really good technology that's what i could see so we are we uh, mainly we could say when we are, we are considering blockchain we will uh, what comes to our mind is uh, mainly the bitcoin transaction Bro, but apart from that there are lots of other applications uh, blockchain is still serving uh, so i could say like uh, the compliance monitoring is the best example and uh, i wanted to speak uh, more about it uh, so in blockchain uh, all the records are mainly immutable so it verifies the data integrity so how we can use this to build a chain of trust or proof of process for compliance uh, so that's what uh, we are looking into so organizations can prove that they secure the customer's data uh, through a series of uh, uh, chain of trust they can build a chain of trust uh, to show that to showcase the customers your data are still safe and we are following all the compliance security compliance and uh, we could uh, even so say like uh, it's a specified uh, business process model uh, so when we say like uh, uh, usually what we will do for a security compliance uh, we have to regularly audit uh, to ensure that we are up to the level of uh, security compliance uh, so it makes the jobs very simple and uh, auditors and regulators uh, can uh, assure the data integrity uh, through the audit trial uh, which is made up of this blockchain powered system so there are lots of other potential applications uh, still under uh, theoretical dis discussion of uh, blockchain but uh, we could say like uh, the future of cyber security and uh, compliance will be definitely built on blockchain so it is uh, really safe and uh, we could always say like uh, we are uh, we are always um, up to the level of uh, the potential we, we can definitely uh, alleviate the potential threats so exactly. it should be a very exactly. beneficial application exactly because you know blockchain is like a very hot topic and uh, you know it's been it's been around for about like 2 3 years uh, i mean like it's been around for a very long time i know but uh, you know it's been like uh, trying to productize for like 2 3 years and a uh, lot of startups were actually concentrating on blockchain and uh, you know we see a lot of use cases for it too so it's awesome and actually i forgot to give the disclaimer you know um, this is for all the audience right so um, we work for different companies but uh, most of uh, the things that we talk in the show are uh, you know basically our personal opinions and it is totally independent of what our employer or what our company does so this is our own opinion i just want to call it out okay so cool nice so anyone want to add anything to uh you know wally's point of view like uh, on blockchain and its own security compliance and things like that i think blockchain is also used in the healthcare centers uh, for say uh, saving the patient's data to be secure uh, so i think in that application also blockchain is evolving now exactly yeah right exactly yes exactly Check yeah. yeah because exactly. uh healthcare is one of the place where you know they have to go through a lot of compliance controls and uh data privacy is very important there because it's more of patient's data and uh, there are a lot of standards too it's called hipaa and there are a lot of government based standards um, i think you know blockchain is like a very good use case there too yeah correct nice so who want to go next okay, then uh, i will start about what i uh go through some points about uh, uh isb uh, awesome. okay initially 
uh, we all use the smartphones or any other device connected to the network by using the sim card right uh, we all use the sim card for it to connect to the network so basically the sim cards as have evolved uh, by decreasing their size from mini to uh, macro and then to nano size and the next level of evolution is the e sim uh from the nano sim the next level of the evolution of the sim cards are the e sim e sim is nothing but a small chip embedded inside the hardware of our phone uh it uh, does exactly the same functionality as a physical sim card does uh but importantly uh it cannot be removed out or there is not a separate slot for our sim cards so that space is uh, reduced in our hardware uh maybe that can be used for any other new functionalities in our phone or by increasing the battery life or something like that um so this how eSIM is and then um, eSIM um, uh, uh, apple has introduced the eSIM in their uh, new xs series uh, uh, they have introduced along with the nano sim uh, uh, one slot for the eSIM also they are providing that functionality and then in india the telecom services like uh, atel and jio provide the support to the eSIM uh okay uh, we we'll go to the functionalities of the eSIM uh eSIM uh, is used for we can use the multiple telephone numbers on the same smartphone we can switch to any of the telephone numbers and we can also switch to any of the carriers what we needed whenever it will be very easier to switch from one carrier service to the another carrier service uh it is a uh, simple by either scanning the qr code provided by the carrier or by either uh, uh logging on into their app and then we can switch to the other network it will be in case like uh when you are traveling uh, uh internationally uh to switch to the local telecom service it will be very easier in that case mm, and then eSIM uh, is not specifically for the smartphones it is also used in the area of uh, smart watches and iot and all the sectors like that um uh, like uh, it is a uh, very small right so it can be embedded into them so those devices can be directly connected to the network uh, without uh, uh, depending on the tethered devices uh, so usually we will uh, uh, we need to connect to the tethered devices so that we can connect to the network right but uh, by eSIM every individual device can be connected independently to the network so has its own functionalities and uh, increases uh, security level also like uh, uh usually in a conventional sim card system when our phone got stolen uh what the opponent do is uh, they they just uh, take out our sim card and then uh, they can use their phone uh, back but in this kind of reason they can't remove the sim back back right so it will be easy to track uh, the phone the stolen phone mm. now it's uh, emerging so it can be eventually take its great place in the market too in awesome. future Awesome, cool, cool. Yeah, actually, I've read about this uh, sometime back. You know, I actually love Pixel phones. So Google actually started supporting the CSM for uh, Pixel Four and Pixel Four XL sometime back. And also, you're right. I know it is not only just for phones, right? So I I saw even like an announcement, like not not now, I think in a year back, uh, from Microsoft uh, supporting for Windows machines with uh, eSIM support. So that was awesome. That's a very cool technology. Yeah, uh, even um, like uh, when it comes to hardware designing. Uh, so it reduces fifty uh, percentage of the size of the nano sim when it comes to eSIM. So awesome. as a hardware designer, it it really benefits for the to bring up more into the uh, chip. Exactly. 
Exactly. Actually, silicon companies were very interested in this uh, process because, uh, you know, this actually, you know, we are actually shrinking the silicons like very small. Right now, it's like, you know, we came to a level like very, very tiny and uh, we can still even process like a lot of data inside that. So, you know, so when it comes to data, this is uh, silicon companies actually play a very big role and uh, ESM support is like uh, going to be awesome. And also like now every player is very interested in supporting ESM. I even like saw some uh, Motorola were announcing something about that as well. So, which is cool. I think, you know, pretty much in a year or two, everything will be ESM. That's what I'm yeah. hoping for. If you see the use case of ESM, like it is really good. You no need to, even if you're traveling across countries, you no need to change a SIM card. Yeah, so that's a big problem right now. Yeah. It, you can if you start using eSIM, it's very simple. You have to just to take up the mobile plan uh, in any country. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's it really should be easy. like Netflix or anything, right? So yeah. just go and you know you can change your plan, but you know not the whole service itself, right? Yeah. And also, it's yes. like going to every country. You have to produce a ID card and you know state ID, something like that. And then you have to get a SIM. It's a very, a very hectic process for, you know, because when you enter a new country, you don't have anything like that, right? So you always have something in foreign. Um, yeah, it, it is going to be very useful for a lot of people. Yes. Right. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Shakti. Nice. It was a nice one. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So, yeah. I'm going to talk about something related to deep learning. And uh, yeah. Uh, deep learning, I could say it is a subset of AI. And uh, to be specific, I'm going to talk about uh, the, the, the relationship, what is the current market situation for the deep, between the deep learning and the user interface. Uh, you might ask a question, wait, what? Deep learning with UI? Yeah, it is happening now. So uh, recently I've came across multiple, uh, a couple of uh, research papers and which is... Uh, being going to be uh, deployed soon in the market. Uh, like uh, it is kind of, a, uh, it, it is actually increasing the productivity for the uh, developers and uh, uh, or for the automation. Uh, I'll give you a good example. Yes, of course, deep learning is again a wide, uh, uh, a wide range. There are lots of topics inside the deep learning. Uh, I could say particularly it is regarding the computer vision. So uh, we have, in current day, we have lots of web application, which is, uh, you know, highly, uh, if you see, if you take an enter uh, enterprise level web application, it has multiple workflows. And the application is made of, say, uh, tons of uh, JavaScript libraries. There are lots of libraries involved in building up an application. So for every one year or six months, if an organization is uh, um, making a new release of that application, um, it is very difficult for, uh, it's like time-consuming task in order to uh, validate the, uh, the UI of the application. UI is the one which speaks, which, inter which interacts with the user, the final end product. Say, let's take a, a flight booking a web application or maybe an enterprise like we order like uh, products online, shopping web application. Every sort of a big enterprise application has its own, uh, you know, like uh, many... Uh, the workflows, many, uh, many features and stuffs. So in order to uh, make some uh, significant design change, especially with respect to the user experience, if there is some significant design change, it is very difficult to check uh, manually uh, uh, the UX, uh, user UX wireframes across the application. So currently what, uh, what was happening in the market is like, uh, in the research is like, uh, I came across a couple of papers in which they are talking. They are talking about the uh, uh, the 
convolutional neural networks. Uh, it's, it's a technical jargon, excuse me for that. Uh, so what does it use for is for classifying the images. So uh, ideally what it does is it takes the screenshot of the web application for every user workflow and it is trying to classify the user interface is properly aligned or not. Uh, okay, when this is this is actually going to be uh, done. So whenever we have set of libraries, we are doing a, there will be lots of JavaScript libraries we'll be using in a, in, to build a web application. It will be tons in case of enterprise application. So in case if some of the libraries are going an upgrade, so we need to test each and every web page and its functionality, whether it is correct or not. So uh, what this uh, computer vision um, uh, deep learning is doing is, it takes the screenshot of uh, the workflow before how it works and how uh, the action has been uh, like sent to the user. Say example, we book a ticket and there is a, a alert which is coming on the top of the page. Yeah, so this is how it works. The, the, uh, the model which understands the behavior of the web application and once the upgrade is done, the same uh, application is fed into the model. The model is trying to, uh, trying to find the defects in the application, whether it is, uh, you know, is there any overlap between the things which we are shown? Any GUI misalignments, I could say. Uh, everything is kind of uh, like any kind of GUI misalignments is there, is evidently noticeable, or any workflow has been broken. And all these things can be found using the um, deep learning architectures. So, yeah. So, that's that's all about awesome. yeah so I, I had a question i was on mute though so yeah so basically uh, yeah the as you said like there are a lot of use cases right so this is like this particular model that you were talking about is like feeding an application into um you know deep learning analysis and you do yeah. um you know analysis on top of that right yeah. yeah actually i've seen a similar application like this uh recently as well uh, but it's more of a different, a little different use case. It's more targeted for developers. So where um, it can do like code analysis and it gives you uh, what is a bad code. So, which is like really funny. So basically okay. it goes over analysis, you know, it, it just continuously analyzes your code and you keep coding an application, right? So uh, it acts as a profiler and then it just marks your, uh, you know, uh, things that you can change and it suggests you, uh, you know, what are the changes that you can make and, you know, which can, um, reduce your CPU consumption or reduce your memory consumption, things like that, uh, which is like an awesome use case for developers, which is like, yeah, actually I can, I can even like share that uh, product link with you guys. So it, it's an awesome one, but it, it is similar to the concept that you were talking about. Okay. Exactly. Awesome. Cool. So any, anyone want to add anything? So, or we can call it a wrap because this is a pilot. So we don't want to go really longer. So we want to so, keep it. Yeah. Know, yeah, when you speak of it, yeah, it was a really interesting um, scenario, whatever you showcased for uh, deep learning. Uh, so how you could see in terms of hardware utilization when it comes to training? Uh, and uh, one more question I wanted to ask is like, uh, so how you are seeing, uh, what was the current accuracy, uh, which means uh, it, they are able to achieve uh, with this kind of uh, model? Uh, yeah, uh, so basically this is a kind of technique. What is uh, happening is like, uh, there are multiple ways to train the model. Again, um, uh, training will not be done at the system. Like again, these all things will happen at a, a specific system which has a good amount of GPU uh, or TPU might be. So, uh, so it is, we need 
uh, good compute to do all this training stuff. But for the validation, uh, it, it needs very less uh, uh, compute to do validate whether a screenshot is properly aligned or not. We can easily say by seeing the screenshot whether it is properly aligned or not. Um, yeah, there are multiple uh, uh, architectures has been used. Uh, currently, uh, the scenario is something like uh, uh, the architecture involves with, I could say, if you, if you want to go a little bit technical inside, uh, there is a uh, thing called LSTMs. Uh, so LSTM is like, uh, it's a kind of uh, neuron, I could say, which holds the um, holds some information about the uh, data which come one second before. So it is kind of like you're time traveling backwards. You, exactly. you know that uh, you are holding the information about the in, like the time which you have seen and you're trying to correlate the thing so what does people does is in one channel they are feeding the stream of html uh, tags html information in other channel they are converting an image into a one dimensional uh, you know pixels and then they are feeding it so they are trying to uh, you know trying trying to correlate the html tags with the you know like uh, uh, with the with the pixel uh, with the say the colors and everything so it tries to build a map that understands the um, whether the UV is properly aligned or not. Of course, the generalization is a huge challenge in here. Uh, so we need tons of data to train and uh, to deploy this thing. Yeah, exactly. yeah thanks. Thanks, Ravi. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. so I think, you know, yeah, model analysis and, uh, you know, data science is like very, um, it's like a very interesting thing. And it, 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 it does consume a lot of time. Uh, trust me, I did that. But uh, yeah, it, it is a very interesting one. And there are a lot of uh, new research papers coming up every now and then. And, uh, you know, we see like a lot of different models, different uh, prediction types, and, uh, you know, even like different technologies coming around in the space. Uh, now I see like a lot of uh, in, in university grads and university, um, you know, even the whole course is actually structured in a way that it is targeted totally into data science uh, because, you know, it's a, it's a very huge uh, subject. And, uh, you know, usually actually we should give it, uh, you know, give it a try of having at least covering one specific topic of data learning or data science uh, every time, you know, we do, we do this show. So that, that will be awesome. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. So anything else guys, guys and girls. So, yeah. Cool. Uh, I, I have a question about uh, Zoom, uh, particularly about uh, you have said about the streaming, right? Like uh, it depends. Uh, there is a middleman who sits between the uh, the user and the Zoom servers, which uh, able to, which is able to, you know, predict the network. Uh, like there is an algorithm to compute the exactly. bandwidth at the user. So, uh, can you a uh, little bit more elaborate about the structure? Like, how does this auto bits? Is it everything is automatic, right? It will just compute and in runtime it streams uh, the exactly. So um, yeah, in the, in the past, right? So usually what, uh, what, what was a video streaming technique is like, you know, we get data in one format and then uh, we try to convert it into different types and then we stream it over the network. So that's how usually it works. But uh, in Zoom's technique, the data is actually consumed as is and it is communicated as is. So that means, you know, whatever I'm speaking and you're seeing, you know, it's gonna be the same data stream without any transformation going through. So which actually, which actually is uh, very good because uh, by that way, none, none of the audio is lost. Uh, video quality is good. And because it, everything is as is. But when we talk about the intermediate, uh, you know, um, but you, you actually, uh, you know, coined it as a middleman, but it's not more, it's more of a systematic client, right? 
what it does is uh, it actually understands understands you know what kind of uh, network that the user is in based on the location right and, and the quality of the data and based off of that it selects a network which is capable of uh, you know communicating it like i mean you know um, you, your network is really bad right so you don't want to really use udp right because you you cannot you don't have that much bandwidth to do that so now the network actually picks the right network you know right protocol to send the data over but at the end of the day there is no transformation happening um, there are a lot of uh, you know um, a lot of technical like uh, the community is uh, talking about this technology quite a bit uh, but actually zoom still has an edge so we don't know quite a bit about their internal architecture but in a high level yeah this is how it works so I asked this question because recently I came across the Netflix architecture where they are streaming the, you know, the movies uh, according to the bandwidth of the user. The bitrate uh, streaming has been computed, uh, and then you know it was somewhat similar to Zoom, but uh, streaming in a real time is really a challenging task. Uh, so with respect to Netflix, there are multiple CDNs, and they they have we might even have a multiple servers and. They might have done like that way, but Zoom is kind of we have a single client who creates the data, and that sh it should be copied in multiple servers and streaming it in a different bitrate is uh, kind of uh, uh, you know it's kind of exactly it's, it's amazing. So Netflix was doing this for quite a bit uh, because Netflix had this problem very early in the space because Netflix was the first guy who came into the streaming um, platform. Uh, but yeah, Netflix problem was a little different because as you said, it was not real time, right? It can be done over the network. But uh, Zoom actually solved it real time. So that's amazing. Because even in our case, right, think about it. We all four in different, different locations, totally different locations, right? But still, you know, everything feels real time uh, because, yeah, you know, this is, this is an amazing technology. And there are a lot of, lot of players here, but still, you know, uh, having more competitive uh, edge gives, you know, people to innovate more. Like, you know, it gives you a very, um, you know, tough situation so that, you know, you can innovate more and more and more and it gets better. So trust me, like, you know, next year, maybe, you know, it's like more systematic and, you know, it may even go in a direction where like we were seeing like Star Wars and all, right? So the same technique, you know, we can even like touch and talk and kind of stuff. So it'll be cool. It's a cool space. Even the virtual background, I like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he's the only one who, Ravi has the only uh, virtual background there. Yeah, we should, we should oh, play it now. It yeah. seems the world is quite, not quite safe due to COVID. So, you know, I was <laughs> you're out of the world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Looks like Mars. So yeah. Tesla is actually launching rockets to Mars. So they want people to live in Mars. So yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is nice. Cool. Awesome, guys. So let's call it a wrap. And uh, yeah, actually, thanks. Uh, thanks, everyone. And thanks for the audience to listening in. And we actually going to do it. Uh, I'll publish more data about this. So we have a we will create a Twitter handle for us. And also we will create a YouTube channel and podcast for most of our audience. And uh, I'll keep you posted. So it's we talk data. Um, you can search for uh, search in the YouTube or in the podcast, like any of the podcast platforms that you have, like Spotify could be, uh, you know, Google podcast, um, Apple podcast. So you can search for We Talk Data, and uh, you can also search for a YouTube channel, um, which is also is We Talk Data. So thanks, thanks for listening, guys. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Good morning and good night. <laughs>